Welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown, where each time we meet, we run down the IT news of the week with varying degrees of snarkiness. I'm your host, Stephen Foskett, and joining me today is Zach Demeyer. Today is National Bring Your Kitten to Work Day, or at least that's what I'm going to call it because I've got these guys. Zach, did you bring a kitten? You know, I don't have a kitten, Stephen, but uh, I, I'm, I, you've got one for both of us, so just uh, keep, them, keep them nice and warm for me. Yep. These are Marvin and Walter, and I'd like to remind everybody watching to support your local Humane Society. Setting our kittens aside, uh, let's turn to the news of the week from IT. And as usual for the Gestalt IT Rundown, we got a lot of security stuff to cover here. So a new study by HP Wolf Security shows that 91% of IT professionals feel that even in the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, they've had to prioritize their company's operations over security practices. To add to that, 73% of these respondents claim that cybersecurity has taken a back seat in their organization, with 81% believing that remote work is the new security ticking time bomb. Zach, um, this is pretty worrying considering that every week, it seems like on the rundown, we're talking about a new security issue, and yet companies aren't focusing on it. Uh, is work from home putting a strain on security overall? You know, Stephen, I think it is. Uh, honestly, there's a lot of really great technologies out there that uh, give people the ability to monitor their work, you know, remote workers and, and to be able to uh, keep tabs on their network and stuff. But at the end of the day, if uh, your company really just wants to keep things moving at a high tick, then, uh, you know, you're not going to be able to receive the budget that you need to actually pay for these security tools. And as such, uh, like a lot of, of these respondents are saying, it seems that security is just being put on the back burner. And, you know, like we said, uh, there's, there's plenty of stories in the past weeks and even this week that uh, certainly point to this. So just this, this fact that it seems like the, uh, the higher ups, if you will, in these companies are, are not taking security seriously just really has me scratching my head. I mean, there's so many, uh, you know, malware strains and botnets that are are just looming over today's organizations and you know like like these uh these people in this survey are saying remote work certainly has a big role to play in it just given the fact that people are working outside of it's direct control and and the you know the budgets just aren't uh there to be able to support the tooling that they need to to keep tabs on these remote workers and so yeah, it's it's concerning uh, to me personally, and and no doubt to to many of the people watching. So, you know, one can only hope that uh, that you know some of the people people with more of the purchasing power kind of see these sort of trends and realize, you know, maybe we should kind of put you know just just pump the brakes a little bit and uh, and and go back to basics and really look into uh, some very core security practices because it seems like some people these days are they just don't care. So. Uh, I guess time will tell here, but uh, onto a slightly different news story for you, Stephen. Uh, you know, after being first announced in 2019, Kyosha has finally shipped their XL flash line of storage drives, which they are pitching as storage class memory to compete with Intel's Optane. The FL6 has a PCIe Gen 4 interface and sports NVMe V1.4, promising up to a 3.2 terabyte capacity with a 60 write per day drive endurance, surpassing the abilities of TLC Flash. Now, Stephen, what's your take on this new entry into the space? Well, 
I think that uh, one thing that I just need to say right off the bat is this thing ain't storage class memory. It's uh, basically an SLC flash drive. Uh, and we've had those before. Now, it's a really good one. And um, it's got a lot of really nice features to it. And frankly, it's probably going to come in at a really nice price. But it's not storage class memory in any way, shape, or form. And I think that it's disingenuous of the company to even claim that they're competing with Optane with this thing. I mean, it, it reminds me of a company that comes out with a plug-in hybrid and tries to pitch it as a competitor for an all-electric long-range vehicle. It's just not the same thing. Uh, it does have some nice specs, especially compared to other uh, flash SSDs. Uh, you know, the big ones are the fact that, uh, you know, we're looking at some pretty fast, uh, low latency here. Um, you know, uh, Optane uh, is an order of magnitude faster, but, uh, you know, we've got some low latency here. We've got some good IOPS. And most importantly, uh, the thing has pretty good endurance, which is a big problem with flash drives. But that being said, um, it's really not in the same league at all with the Intel Optane, uh, not the last generation, but especially not the current next generation Optane, which provides much, much better IOPS, much, much lower latency, and really sets it into a different class here. Um, yeah, it, it frustrates me uh, that we're seeing the same thing happen with storage class memory that we've seen in the, in the past with, for example, software-defined storage, where a company will just latch on to a term and then you know, kind of roll over it and say, yeah, yeah, we've got that too, check this thing out. When in reality, what they've got here is a decent, nice high-performance flash drive. I wish they could just kind of stick with that and say, hey, this is a really fast enterprise SSD. You should use it in places that you might consider using, um, for example, an Optane drive, but it's really not the same thing. So, um, Switching back to security, I hate to do this to you, but um, as if uh, the pandemic wasn't hard enough for IT staff, uh, now they have to contend with the plague of bots. Yeah, that's right. A big, big new botnet, 250,000 nodes. Um, it's called Maris, which is apparently the Latvian word for plague. And researchers in Russia have found that it's the source of the majority of DDoS attacks that happened over the last several months. Um, Zach, what can be done to stop these botnets? Well, Stephen, unfortunately, uh, if you're the target of one of these attacks with the sheer number of requests per second that a two, you know, 25, uh, it's, it's just a mind boggling amount of devices. If, if they're all just going and, and targeting your web host, you are, probably, uh, you know, hosed for lack of a better term. But however, there are some things that can be done. Um, if you look in the show notes at the associated article, you'll find that many of these attacks started off with a uh, very kind of soft email-based phishing attack. So, uh, you know, standard practices, just like brushing your teeth, brushing up on those security practices of identifying if a link is uh, potentially phony, not just clicking on things as soon as they show up in your inbox, maybe, you know, forwarding it on to your, uh, your IT admin and saying, hey, this seems kind of fishy. But also, too, it does draw into question, uh, you know, as, as the, the uh, article also notes, many of these attacks coming out of Latvia are targeting Russia, 
which is kind of ironic given that, uh, you know, several of the major attacks that we have been kind of tracking over the past few weeks have been originating from Russia and going into other places. So it's kind of interesting to see the shoe on the other foot here. And perhaps, uh, you know, the the massive cyber teams uh, over in Russia and, and perhaps the ones that we have here in the States or, you know, around the world can kind of recognize that uh, at the end of the day, we, we all have some common uh, similarities. And one of those similarities is that we are all under the looming threat of, uh, of Maris. So, you know, perhaps uh, some of these teams can, can perhaps uh, join forces and, and try their best to, uh, you know, per, perhaps create something that can be run on, on some of these devices, because no doubt uh, many of them are, have been acquired under less than uh, savory means, shall we say, and, and are perhaps, you know, just uh, some regular old, uh, old person's cell phone or, or their computer, and, and perhaps they can uh, make a, a joint patch that can be sent out to, to help address the, uh, the malware that this botnet is, is using. But, you know, until then, uh, we're just going to have to be a little scared, which is uh, the sad but, but true truth of it. And, uh, you know, it, here's to all the, the cybersecurity professionals out there who are, you know, actively working against Maris, and, and we wish you all the best and, uh, and Godspeed. So, Stephen, let's uh, let's switch tacks again. This time, we're going to talk about a uh, a new service that's available to people. That's that's rather interesting because user users of Lenovo's TrueScale can now take advantage of a new groundbreaking feature. They can increase the number of cores available for their machine without having to swap in new processors. This silicon as a service feature allows companies to scale their Intel Intel core usage without having to request uh, Lenovo to alter their rack layout. In that way, Lenovo and Intel can deploy singular high volume configurations, which allows Intel to ultimately sell Lenovo their highest core count processors. Steven, is this a good move for both parties? Well, sure, it's cool that you can uh, you can do this. Um, and, and of course, it kind of ticks the box of the composable infrastructure that we've been hearing about lately. But um, there's a really interesting angle to this story, and that's that nobody knows how Lenovo's doing this. So. As you said, essentially a uh, customer of theirs can basically say, look, I need another CPU core. And dynamically without rebooting, without doing anything, the system can reconfigure and scale up with more CPU cores. That's cool. Um, we don't know how they're doing it though. And they're not telling how they're doing it. So uh, how exactly do you add a CPU core to a running instance? And what is it about the Intel uh, Ice Lake servers that they're using that allows it to happen? Um, we're not 100% sure. So that's, that's one interesting angle. Um, to me, there's another interesting angle here too. And that is that the way that they're metering these servers is not based on cores or usage or load or some kind of agent that's running on the server, they're actually just watching the power draw. And again, that's kind of neat, isn't it? So they're literally just watching how many watts the server uh, is pulling down and billing you for that. Um, again, I like the creativity of this thing. I like the fact that they're able to do this. Um, it does seem to me that the only way they're able to accomplish both of these tasks is by provisioning a too big server, uh, disabling it in some way or throttling it in some way, and then allowing you to unthrottle it on demand, which you know isn't all that cloudy because it's not shared infrastructure and it's also not all that uh, financially feasible to be doing this, but ah, who knows? 
Um, it's cool. It's a clever twist. And uh, frankly, it's kind of cool to see uh, Lenovo uh, innovating in this space. Uh, Zach, uh, we do have another exciting security compromise this week. Uh, credentials pilfered from 87,000 unpatched Fortinet SSL VPNs have been pasted online. Uh, the company confirmed this, and it says that it's remnants of the Babook gang that wreaked ransomware havoc earlier this year. Um, Zach, what does this mean for Fortinet customers, since a lot of businesses rely on their products? Well, Stephen, I kind of feel like a broken record today, but, you know, sometimes you just got to go back to best practices. Uh, if you're a Fortinet customer, you know, you might want to change uh, your password and, and use something that's... Uh, you know, more than eight characters, got a few unique uh, characters thrown in there, some numbers, some capitals, you know, just uh, just like the things that you're you're taught when you're trying to log into a, a new service. Uh, yeah, this it so Fortinet's actually a, uh, you know, a pretty good friend of ours here at Gestalt IT. And and really, it's it's heartbreaking news news to hear that they uh, have have been compromised. But it's even more heartbreaking to hear that the target of this attack was VPNs. You know, as we were talking about earlier at the top of the show, remote work is uh, is here. And unfortunately, it is a, um, a security nightmare for some people. And uh, having VPNs, which, you know, act as that secure tunnel to get back into your organization's, uh, you know, key uh, crucial treasures, if you will, the, that, that juicy data back on-prem, uh, if that's if that's compromised, then uh, that's that's pretty much it for you. So, uh, you know, if you are a Fortinet customer, I, I don't want I don't think that you should be, you know, thinking about jumping ship right about yet. But you definitely should be thinking about, you know, going through and and changing up your uh, your logging credentials and 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 perhaps, you know, kind of just doing that across the board. And honestly, I think it's something that really in this day and age, a lot of people should be should be considering because, you know, so many, uh, so many organizations and, and just individuals in general have just been using the same credentials for the past, you know, four, five, 10 years now. And uh, yeah, it won't be soon before long that all of those uh, credentials in association with you and the services you use will be available on the internet for anybody. So, you know, just, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it, I just harken back to those best practices of, you know, sometimes you just got to change your password out. Sometimes you've got to, uh, you know, think about coming up with your new key phrase that you're going to use uh, dispersed through all your password engines, what, what have you. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a scary time out there. So it's a, we can, one can only hope that, that both uh, individuals and companies alike are, are really starting to think, you know, maybe this security thing is important. But uh, until then, we'll just have to keep running through the news, which speaking of, we've got a pretty interesting story to talk about here as a, a rather big C-level move happened earlier this week when uh, VMware's GM, Fidel Russo announced that she would be stepping down from her position in the company. And, uh, you know, originally we, we all thought, hey, this is, uh, she's just letting us know that she's moving on with her career. But, you know, just a, a few days ago, let us know She's making a move in a big way as she will be the new CTO of HPE. Steven, you're a friend of Fidelma. How does this bode for HPE, for VMware, and for Fidelma Russo? Yeah, it's exciting. As you mentioned, I've worked with Fidelma many times over the years. Uh, she's got an amazing career. Um, uh, the best product I ever worked with in IT was the Data General Avion servers, and she was the GM of those servers 
uh, while I was a customer. Uh, after that, you know, she spent time with Dell EMC, with Sun, with HP, with you know Dell EMC again, with VMware. Um, this is somebody who really, really knows her stuff. And um, frankly, uh, I would not have all at all been surprised to see her be promoted to CTO of VMware because, of course, she's worked with Raghu Raghuram in the past and uh, knows quite a lot about VMware. Word is that she might have actually gotten that position uh, or at least been in the running for that position right before she left, which is really weird. There's a really weird angle here. We don't know what's going on. Um, you know, with some people saying that she might have actually been a VMware CTO for a couple of days um, before uh, a friend, another friend, uh, uh, and, and a great, great choice, Kit Colbert, was given that job at VMware. Um, so again, Kit absolutely deserves that position. He is just a tremendous, tremendous person, um, really, really knows his stuff, knows where VMware is headed, and I'm glad to see him as CTO. And I'm equally glad to see that HPE was smart enough to bring in, um, you know, somebody like Russo to be the CTO there, because quite frankly, uh, HPE has done some really nice stuff um, moving the uh, the business into this as a service market with uh, their GreenLake uh, product. Um, you know, quite frankly, uh, they were one of the first uh, enterprise companies to move to an all as a service model. And they have really done a nice job of trying to allow customers to buy things as a service instead of as CapEx. So um, I really uh, do expect great things from, from her. Again, uh, you know, Fidel Marusa, she is just a tremendous executive, um, really knows this stuff, really knows the history of servers as well as the future uh, from VMware and um, it's a great move all around. So yeah, I, I, wish, I wish her the best. I uh, give HPE a pat on the back for landing such a great person as their CTO and uh, as well as VMware. And the whole thing just makes me say, why the drama? Uh, let's get on and, uh, and do some great work. Zach, uh, we do have another executive shuffle to report on here quickly. Uh, just this morning, uh, Arcus, a friend of Tech Field Day, who's presented a couple of times, uh, announced that in tandem with a new strategic approach and uh, some more cash, uh, they're appointing a new CEO, uh, former VMware veteran, uh, Shekhar Iyer. Uh, as Edge and 5G use cases continue to expand, Arcus looks to set themselves up for success in this exploding area and uh, build some momentum to finish out the fiscal year. Uh, what's your take on Arcus's new CEO? You know, Stephen, I think it's a great move, uh, especially, as you said, Arcus is, is really looking to take advantage of this rapidly growing space. And, uh, you know, given IR's experience in, you know, just in the general tech field, it's uh, it's going to be a real boon to to add to their their lineup. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly really excited about it. Our uh, boots on the ground reporter, Tom Hollingsworth, has actually uh, been in communications with Arcus and IR uh, talking about this new move. But, you know, unfortunately he is running our networking field day event as we speak and, uh, you know, can't share, but look forward to a, an upcoming conversations. I'm sure he'll be, he'll be talking about it in more detail. But uh, as for my opinion, you know, I think this is a really, a really great move. Um, you know, Arcus certainly seems to be setting themselves up to, to really kind of take the market by storm and, and, uh, use this new influx of cash and this new, uh, you know, man at the helm to, to really uh, move forward in the space, which is really exciting. 
And also, you know, curiously, I just want to just take a quick step back. And now this is two uh, pretty, pretty big figures that are, are leaving VMware, uh, which also draws into question, I, you know, what, what's going on over there? Are they looking to, you know, make a, a big upheaval in the space? We, we did recently talk about how Dell is spinning them off into their own smaller sister company. And so, you know, these moves might be perhaps setting up a, a new order over at VMware. So we'll have to we'll have to stay tuned in and really kind of keep a keep an eye on this one because it, it's going to be interesting over the next coming months. But at the end of the day, congrats Arcus, congrats Shekar IR, and uh, yeah, really excited to see what you guys have in the future. So Stephen, let's move on, and uh, we've got a couple stories here that I think warrant a closer look. Um, and and this one in particular, uh, you know, we're going to have to look out because what's that in the sky? Is it a bird? Is it a plane? Is it Superman? Is it a flying horse infecting Apple devices? It's that one. Uh, this week in an emergency update, Apple released a patch preventing the Pegasus spyware from infecting any Apple device with a single click. Yes, we've all got one sitting here on our desk. I've got my Mac right here. Yeah, single click, really scary stuff. Um, when infected, the devices could be made to activate their microphone and camera, among many other features of the device, and then sending all the information gathered back to Pegasus creator NSO to be dispersed among their clients of various, uh, you know, repute, whether it's governments or, uh, you know, small time baddies. But regardless, Stephen, was this move by Apple just in time or do you think it's uh, perhaps a little too little too late? No, I, I think Apple has uh, done exactly what they should do here. And I should point out, it's not a single click. It's a zero click. That's right. They can iMessage you and take over the entire phone, all functions of the entire phone, microphone, camera, everything, without you doing anything. And that is nuts. And the, the nutsest thing here is that Apple absolutely is working on these things, absolutely is focused on these things. They are fighting these zero clicks at every turn. And frankly, if Apple can't secure the iPhone, which we know that they're putting basically unlimited resources in terms of money and time and manpower and attention into securing these things, if they can't secure this, then nothing is secure because Apple absolutely is doing what they can do. Um, you know, in this case, the uh, forced entry uh, zero click was uh, reported to Apple uh, apparently on September 7th and iPad and OS and iOS 14.8 uh, were released on September 13th to close this gap. In other words, this thing was fixed in less than a week by Apple from report to, to, to repair being pushed out on every iDevice out there in the field. And yet, and yet we probably know that there's probably another one that Pegasus Group or NSO Group has with the Pegasus spyware operation. So it, it's just incredible. And uh, as we've reported as well, the other thing that really disappoints me is the fact that um, the NSO Group has not uh, done what they should do in terms of uh, you know, keeping this stuff under their hat, or at least keeping it in the hands of, um, I hate to say the good guys, because is anybody the good guys in this story? But um, basically, they've let this thing get out there and, and be exploited against activists. And in fact, that's how this thing got found. Um, you know, Citizen Lab literally found this on the phone 
of a Saudi activist. And it's just, uh, I don't know, maybe, do you want to talk about that angle, Zach? Yeah, it's, it, it's super heartbreaking um, to me personally, you know, it's just one of those things that, uh, yeah, this, this is the, this is a dystopian nightmare situation. Um, you know, this, this, this is the, the big brother can see everything that you're doing. Um, except in this case, big brother is pretty much anybody, anybody who wants to pay the NSO group, uh, just a, a, a little bit of money. So yeah, super scary. But, um, you know, going back to the top of the show, we we talked about that that statistic of, of security versus operations. And it seems like Apple has hit the uh, the point where their operations are running smoothly enough that, yes, in fact, they do care about security. And to the security team over at Apple, thank you, because this, you know, is is a literally terrifying scenario so i can only imagine the amount of work that was put in over those few days between uh when when the exploit was found and and when they patched it and i really appreciate that work because yeah i mean that that saved millions of people from uh this this massive threat and um so we're, we're much obliged to you very very much appreciate that yeah, I do think that Apple is absolutely doing what they can do to protect their customers from this because this is, you know, egg on the face because security is kind of the pitch for iOS. Um, and uh, if they can't keep it secure, well, then that's a big fumble. So I do think they're doing what they can. But the, the truth is that once a system becomes so complex and has so many different moving parts, uh, there's just going to be a lot of uh, potential for exploit in there. And that's pretty much what we're seeing here. Also, the other aspect here that's been true of all security exploits is that once something becomes a, I don't know, a tasty enough target, somebody's going to figure out how to exploit it. And it just seems that that's what we're seeing here again and again. So, Zach, let's talk about a different exploit that's affecting an equally high profile company. Uh, researchers have uncovered a new exploit in Microsoft Azure uh, that allows them to exploit the uh, container as a service boundaries of um, Azure. Uh, this comes hot off of uh, the Cosmos DB uh, exploit, which we previously recorded or reported, and uh, draws into question some of the security practices going on. Because unlike what we're talking about here with Apple, this one seems pretty amateurish. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Azure Scape exploit? Yeah, Stephen, I think you hit the nail right on the head. Amateurish really comes to mind here because this, I mean, this is, it's its just unreal that you're one of the largest companies in the world and you've had not only one, but two of the most, you know, considerably uh, major attacks on your Azure cloud service. And this is over the past, you know, two months. What's going on? What, like, why, why aren't you guys, uh, you know, keeping tabs on these things? You'd think with, with one of the largest clouds, you know, deployments in the world, you would have uh, hit the point already at this, this, this time where things would kind of be at cruising altitude and you could really invest in having a strong security team. And not to mention the fact that, you know, like you said, this is coming right off of Cosmos DB. You'd think that they would have probably hired, you know, four, five, 10 people just to form their own, you know, security team just for that wing alone. So this it's it's a real head scratcher for me and honestly I've got no no clue how how these these kind of attacks are are happening at such a clip at such a you know on such high profile targets and obviously you know 
people are going to try and swing as high as they can in these scenarios, but you've got to be ready and anticipating that this is going to happen and respond. And this, it's just a, a very disheartening thing to, to hear that Microsoft is, is apparently not concerned enough to, to really put, put people and put money behind keeping these, uh, these things safe. And it's, yeah, I'm, 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 to, for lack of a better term, I'm, I'm appalled. How do you feel about it, Stephen? Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is that, um, you know, this wasn't rocket science. Uh, the, the root of this whole thing was a known vulnerability in software that hadn't been updated uh, or that they were running outdated uh, software from five years ago. And, um, and that's, just, that's just amazing that they would be relying on that for their high profile, you know, Azure uh, service. In fact, pretty much every aspect of this thing was a known vulnerability, and it was just a chain of known vulnerabilities. And, and the thing is, too, that uh, we should mention is that Azure Scape was apparently exploited, um, unlike some of the other things that we've talked about, including the Cosmos DB exploit, which we don't know if it had been used widely. This thing had been used widely. In fact, um, I am hearing a rumor, and not confirmed, but I'm hearing a rumor that one reason that they discovered this uh, that Palo Alto discovered this was because um, somebody was running a crypto mining operation in containers that should not have been uh, heavily loaded. And so essentially it was the CPU load of uh, an active uh, crypto mining uh, attack that, that, that tipped them off that something weird was going on here. I don't know if that's true, but, um, but we do know absolutely that this thing was in the wild and was exploited and that there was actually a video online showing exactly how to exploit it. Um, you know, that's, I guess, what's gonna happen here. So uh, if you're running a service, if you uh, build software on open source, uh, please, please, please keep it updated. Please, you know, stay up to date with the known vulnerabilities. Don't build your service on something from five years ago with known vulnerabilities and hope for the best. You know, that's just not gonna happen. Um, and, and also watch out for these things. You know, that, that was another aspect of this is that essentially you had uh, credentials escaping uh, once again where they really shouldn't have been. In fact, that's what Microsoft did to turn this off is they just said, oh, well, maybe, you know, we shouldn't send the key. Boom, you know, don't send the key. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe the least secure method is the best method or the most secure, I don't know, least information, I don't know, whatever it is. It, it, maybe that's the right approach instead of, uh, you know, trying to constantly play whack-a-mole with the latest exploit, maybe, maybe architect these things so that they're a little bit more secure right out of the box. So anyway, this is a, it's a bad story. It really doesn't look good. It's not a good look for Microsoft. And I hope uh, that they do better in the future. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, if you're sitting there watching this show and saying, you know, I completely agree with you. Why, why are we not focusing on security? Perhaps it's time to bring your cat into work and walk into your boss's office and say, hey, have you seen my cat? Also, have you heard of security? And, uh, you know, just just try and do a little a little lobbying of your own to try and, and get, you know, just shave off a little bit more budget because clearly, as we've seen, these things are not gonna stop soon, but neither is the news. And, you know, we're gonna keep coming out every week with uh, new news for you to, to enjoy and perhaps cringe a little bit at. But we're also doing a whole lot of other great things over at Gestalt IT too. And Stephen, would you like to share some of the, the fun things that you have going on right now? 
Yeah, Zach, as you mentioned, uh, Tom Hollingsworth isn't here with us this week because he's running Networking Field Day right now. Uh, just go over to techfieldday.com today and tomorrow. You can see live presentations from Networking Field Day. Of course, you can also see recordings of all those presentations at, uh, on our YouTube channel. Also, I'm really excited to say that we're now deeply into season three of our Utilizing AI podcast. Every Tuesday, we're going to have a great uh, enterprise uh, AI discussion if you're interested in that topic. And of course, you can also check out the uh, Gestalt IT podcast. Uh, what, what's up with you? Yeah, Stephen, you know, I've been following along with Networking Field Day, both in the event and on Twitter, and uh, it's, it's just blowing up. It seems like everyone's having a lot of fun watching the companies that were presenting yesterday, and it, I'm, I'm really excited to see what's going on with the companies presenting today as well, too. And I'll be covering all those posts as I do, as well as, uh, you know, finishing off the, uh, the events from this most recent Tech Field Day that you just hosted. And uh, so lots of good coverage there. Just uh, once again, over at gestaltit.com, you can see everything that we've got going on. But, uh, you know, until then, for myself, for the entire team here, for you, Mr. Storage, and for our colleague, Tom Hollingsworth, this has been the Gestalt IT News Rundown. We hope you have a fantastic week.